Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly, and we're back with part two of our interview with Blaine Chocolate. Before we get to the interview, just a couple quick things. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would be great if you could leave us a review in iTunes and subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice. Also, Blaine and I think it would be great if you would make a donation to the Lefty Cray Memorial Conservation Fund, the funds raised to go to support TU and BTT conservation projects. For more information and to donate, visit www.bonefishtarpentrust.org forward slash Lefty Cray forward slash. We'll also have a link in the show notes and in this episode's Facebook post. Now on to our interview. That's awesome. And that's a great segue to start talking about your patterns that you're known for. And so your first big pattern was the gummy minnow. And so tell us a little bit about how the gummy came about. Yeah. Well, the gummy was my first attempt back in 98 uh, to, to create a fly that would look and act like the soft plastics that were so successful in the, in the conventional side. And it was a failure. You know, it was... It's like, man, I can make this fly look exactly like the real thing, but my real thing, I was trying to get it to swim like a Zoom fluke or any soft plastic out there or, or even a Cinco, but, and it, but it didn't have that action. But what it did have is it had the realism that which I have these, this, this theory on how I think fish react to, to lures or flies. The movement gets in there. And at the last second, obviously learning, especially as a fly angler, uh, profile, silhouette, and what is it real food is the last trigger that causes them to eat it or not. And and the gummy has that. It just failed miserably of having the swimming action that I wanted. So it was one of those things that Popovic's always told me, um, a great fly design comes from problem solving. So my problem in fly design, especially for smallmouth bass early on, was creating a fly that would swim like these soft plastics. I'd get a client in the boat that that was fly, fly fishing, they would always bring a friend that didn't fly fish, whether it be a female or a male, and I would just put soft plastics on or, or whatever and not have to worry about them because they were going to catch fish constantly and catch nice ones. So it was like, man, we just got to figure out something, a fly that will work like this. And that, that was, that's been my goal for 20-some years, you know, and, you know, trialing. I've tied a lot of shitty patterns. Trust me, man. I, I mean, I've got <laughs> bucket full of bad stuff that just didn't work out. And the gummy was kind of like that, but it, but it also helped me realize movement. You know, it helped me like, I, I get, I get, you know, I'm not being a engineer. I, I started understanding a little bit about water, um, and how things react in water and how they don't, you know? So that's kind of the start of a lot of that, to be honest. And it's, it's failure, not being afraid to make mistakes. I mean, I mean, that obviously being a musky guy, you can't, your failure is, is pretty much most of your, most of your day. And then it's kind of funny. I mean, the other sport that I love a lot is golf and, you know, golf is a lot of failure. You know what I mean? And I, I heard, I think Tiger Woods mentioned this the other day is you spend most of your time not winning and you got those few times where you do win. And he happened to win 80 some times, right? But I mean, he's one as more, I think he's number one right now or tied for number one all time wins, right? But these, how many tournaments has he played and not won? So it's, it's the same deal with that when you're targeting that fish of a lifetime. It's the failures that get you there, though, right? Yeah, no, that's interesting. I want to talk about that a little bit more later. So we talked, I mean, I know, I guess the gummy had the mouth feel, but it didn't have the action, right? right. So fish would bite it and it would feel. And the visuals. Yeah, the so visuals. it had the right silhouette. And so I guess really, to me, I kind of think is the next pattern when I think about Blaine Chocolate after the gummy, but before the game changers, the T-bone. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about how the 
the the the T-bone came about and I'd be really interested to hear you know how that worked into the evolution of the game changer. Oh, sure. So, um you know the gummy and I had a bunch of different variations of that. Um, you know, and, and about that same time, I, I started getting into the musky game and the big stripers. Um, this would have been m- or mid, early 2000s. Um, I had a good friend of mine, uh, his name's David Garst, um, who was the only person I actually kn- knew that fly fished when I was in high school. Um, and he went to a, a, a local school that was, um, you know, not too far away, um, but he also knew Harry Steves and Steve Heiner, and they hooked us up together because we were the only kids. I mean, we're the exact same age too. And um, and he he happened to be geeked out on fly fishing like me, and it was, it was actually more. Um, he was a much better tire than I was. He was more accomplished when I met him than I was. And um, but he was he was just really into the outdoors, and he's now a biologist. A, um, a, um, he's a biologist of several things, but his main things are snakes. So, I mean, he's just always been an outdoor person. So moving forward with that, uh, David and I would, uh, I'd be guiding my clients for smallmouth bass and I would have him meet me after that to, uh, start targeting muskies. And I, my goal was to consistently catch a muskie on a fly at the time I hadn't caught one. You know, I caught him on gear with him and he, he would throw gear. He had no problem throwing gear. I was trying to be more of a purist and throw fly. And I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not a purist at all, obviously with the fly designs. Um, I learned a lot of my, I learned from, from the conventional world quite a bit. Right. So, you know, he would give me first shot at, at the, at the spots. Cause I mean, like I said, you know, being on the water learning the water, you learn where fish are at different times of the year. So I knew exactly where fish, some of these muskies were. So I knew we were fishing over muskies. Uh, so, you know, on the good days with the different flies I was throwing, you know, I might get a follow, you might see a fish or whatever. And, you know, he'd give me the first pass, you know, fish an hour or so and nothing. And then I would give him the reins up, up at the bow and he'd be using the traditional musky lures and get a fish in the first 10, 15 minutes. And I'm like, God, there's something that's just not coming together with this whole thing with these fish. They're here, but they we're not creating the triggers that these muskies want. And a lot of the things he was creating were side motions, you know, showing profile. Uh, the biggest one was vibration with the spinner baits that he was throwing these bucktails with the, with the big blades, which you can't really replicate with a fly rod. Right. But I did do that. I actually took, um, back then it was funny. I took some long shank hooks, um, tied a deceiver on it and left the, the front end open. And I put some, some beads in the front and then put a clevis in, in the fat. And then I bent, um, a wire to make a spoon shape. And then I took 3M spray and sprayed a ribbon and it would happen to be a gold ribbon with reflection on it and glued that to that, that, that spoon shape that I, I cut out with uh, that wire and then glued it together and then epoxied over that. So I basically had a, a plat, a, a, a spinner, a bucktail spinner, and I actually got some reaction, but it was horrible to cast. I'm like, why, why even bother, you know, pick up a baitcaster at that point. So then I just kept playing with all these rudimentary, terrible flies. And then I started playing around with, with foam discs, it, which happened to be my first pattern with Umqua Feather Merchants, was my disc sliders and poppers back in, I think, 98, 99. And uh, so I started tying these larger head profiles, and I started, and 
I started seeing better results with that with stripers. Um, I, I remember going up and fishing up on the Susquehanna flats with Bill Dawson and catching some really big stripers on the flats and left that, left a couple of those flies with him. And he caught, ended up catching some really big 30, 40 pound stripers on those flies. And they were big. They were basically a deceiver with a big disc slider head that would have a, a really different motion. And that taught me a lot about how, how, that the beginning of a fly, the front of the fly can affect how the fly swims and how it's going to act in the water. So I started playing with those different ideas and that's kind of where the T-bone came from is, is actually foam discs. And, uh, a friend of mine, like being in the industry for, for as long as I have you and being at the shows and meeting all these people, I met a guy, Rich Murphy, um, who was an engineer up in Massachusetts. It, it's a beach angler that wrote a, an incredible book on striper fishing. Um, and who I'm a big fan of, um, he's a great tire. Uh, and he gave me, he had these steep hill specials and these other different flies that he was using, using tubing. And he gave me this tubing back then and said, see if you can do something with it. And I took that tubing and started playing around with, with dams and, and, and bodies to create profile. And, you know, at that same time, I, or Popovics had been doing the reverse tie, the hollow style, the B stuff. And, those flies are, that's what really changed the game really in, in big game hunting with a fly rod is, is Bob's, uh, reverse hollow style. It, but the negative to that for me and fishing all through a day and currents and stuff is bucktail, the elasticity of it would end up compressing over time and it would get snaked out. So I was looking for, and not, not saying that that's a negative. I mean, it's just the way things work. Right. But, uh, but, but for him creating that profile that creates that, the, that that larger look to it without creating too much bulk so we could cast it. That was just a huge breakthrough, and, and Bob has forever changed the game in my mind. It's the greatest fly designer that's ever lived. Um, but for me, I needed something because I'm lazy, tire. I don't want I do love creating flies, but I don't like sitting down and tying a lot of flies. So I wanted something that was going to last for a long time. So I started taking that, that, that body tubing and reverse tying it and creating these dams, which dams have been around for a long time too. But I wanted something that was going to be, I guess, hollow that wasn't going to create a lot of weight and wasn't going to create too much bulk. So reverse tying that body tubing allowed that all of that. So I could just spin bucktail in front of that and create that same profile that you were getting from a, a hollow fly, but it would, I, it was basically self healing because I could compress that that body for that tubing forward and it would make that bucktail stick up again. So it created, it basically created that pro a, a long-term solution to the profile. And then I started playing around with wire. Um, and I, you know, being a, a conventional and fly guy, I had a wire bending kit. So I started playing with wire and, and creating articulations with these things to create more of that jackknife uh, uh, deal. But I also learned that the head diameter was the big part of all that. The bigger the head, the more of that jackknife that you got, because it's just, it's basically a stall out. So, you know, that, that's kind of the beginning of the T-bone for me, really. And, but the T-bone is also the beginning of the game changer, because I started seeing more of that serpentine movement when, with uh, just adding a shank or two, you know, or, or at the time, too, I would, I would, I would just break off hooks and tie a, a hook on the back of another one and just do that traditional, what we use now for, you know, wire connection with beads to connect an articulation. But, um, I just wanted to move it forward 
with that and just, you know, kind of use a, a more of a solid connection there and, and better platform for tying at the time. You know, that's kind of where I was. And, you know, everything's always evolving. You know, we have this conversation next year. I'm probably going to be somewhere completely different where I am in my thought process, too, for sure. Got it. So the, the T-bone really was solving the kick problem that the gummy didn't have. Yep. But I guess it was then was the game changer, that persistent undulation that you wanted, was that really the problem you were trying to solve yeah, when you I built mean, the game changer? It, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, for me, I mean, having that swimming action that you get with uh, swim baits and soft plastics that, and having that realism. So I was able to get realism with the gummy. You know, I can make match the hatch. I mean, that's the trout angler in me. You know, the profile silhouette, color, all that stuff. I had all that with the gummy, but I didn't have the movement. And so for me, I didn't care what you're throwing. I mean, with, with, with anything, I mean, if you're, if you're acting non-mechanical in movement and struggling, I mean, that is, that is a big, big trigger for any predator. I don't care if you're a, uh, an animal in the Serengeti or whatever, or anywhere. I mean, if you act wounded or act jacked up the predator, you're going to get that predator's attention because that's an easy meal. So the more erratic movements that you get in a fly, especially streamer stuff, the more you're going to get the attention of a predator. So the soft plastics proved all that, right? So for me, my goal was I got to create a fly. I know I can end up getting realism, but I've got to get a fly that's going to have that swimming action because the movement is what's going to get that fish to your offering in the first place. And then is it food? So if you can get them there, you got you got you half the problem solved at that point for any predator. Yeah, that's um, that's really interesting. And you know, I, I guess what I would say too is, I mean, the game changer is really it's not a fly; it's a style, right? And it's it's exploded and become really universally applicable. Does that surprise you, or do you think you kind of found that kind of common trigger that all predatory fish want, and you've kind of solved that riddle? Yeah. Well. I mean, anybody that knows me knows I, I don't. I definitely don't want to ever come across as being cocky or, or boasting. And and I, I had uh, I had a lot of um, thought about the calling it a game changer because you know I know that sounds very bold and sounds very cocky. But for me, it, I, I called it that, and we ended up sticking with it, even though I was like, I don't know if I want to call it that or not. Because, but we stuck with it because of that because that that thing because it, it's a platform that can be used in all types of, of fly design. So it is a game changer in that sense because movement gets a fish to your offering. And, and it shows in, in the critter designs that I'm doing now. I mean, you can imitate anything from a, an aquatic worm to a mayfly nymph, uh, even dry fly stuff that I've got coming out too soon. So, it, I mean, I knew when, when, we created, when I created this and then had Martin start making those shanks from Flyman Fishing Company, that it was a true game changer in fly design because there's so many applications. And, and that's why we've been very persistent about calling it a platform because that's what it is. I mean, it, you can take your imagination and use this platform to create anything almost. That's awesome. And so is your uh, creative energy right now focused on those kind of new um, prey species that you're developing on that game changer chassis is that kind of where the action is for Blaine right now it is you know I mean I've had a lot of this in the hopper for seven eight years I mean I've I've had these designs for a long time but you know there's only so much time to do anything and and I actually tied a lot of these things a long time ago but I just haven't had the opportunity to kind of 
move things forward. And, and I, you know, like I said earlier, I'm not a great business person. So I've had some, some guidance from people that's like, we need to hold these back, you know, in, until you get all this other stuff done. I was like, yeah, but you know, I'm not, I'm more into the fishing and getting things out there and, and like, well, lefty and all this, these great people I've been able to um, be mentored through is sharing your knowledge. And then, and then you see stuff on the internet where people are playing around with your platform and then you start getting closer to some stuff that you've created. So I'm like, well, I better get this out there before somebody starts thinking I'm stealing from them. Right. So I'm like, it's like, you know, so I'm like telling people, it's like, I know you want me to wait on some of this stuff, but I'm, I'm going to get it out there because, you know, there's a lot of talented people out there. And, and I, you know, for me, I've always taken pride in, in trying to be original and it's not about just original. It's about me solving problems. I mean, that's where it always, that's where it boils. I don't just want to create a fly just to say, Hey, I got a new pattern. It's got to have a purpose. And, and these have, and that platform obviously can be adapted to any type of fishery that anybody may be fishing for. I don't care if it's permit or if it's bluegill. I mean, you know, there's times where any body of water where fish can be super picky, you know, and movement sometimes is that extra trigger that's going to cause those fish to eat. And, and I can tell you, if anybody has ever observed aquatic insects in the water, they're anything but still. I mean, even the smallest midge larvae, they wiggle like... Non-stop. Oh, man. I mean, it's like they're on drugs. So, I mean, all these aquatic bugs are moving, you know, and, and adding that into, into your fly pattern, that can't do anything but help you. And we have a lot of footage that's going to be released soon of the bugs in the water moving but also how fish react to them. You know, I had a trip the other, yesterday um, using some of these uh, game changer crayfish. And, and we were fishing and getting some fish here and there, but we switched to that. And this, this, that particular fly has more of a porpoising swim. And that, which is basically how shrimp and crayfish, when they're, being, when they're fleeing, will have that kind of porpoising kick and, and having that action and then having it fall and, and splay out. I mean, we were, it was, it was almost, being a kid again, we were laughing and giddy, you know, it was just, it's just, and that's kind of what it's all about. Right. I mean, just for me, that's what it always will going back to the Jackson and having that aha moment. It's like, it's all about fly design, man. It really is. I mean, you got to get the fly there, but the fly is the most important part of this whole process that we go through in fly fishing period or fishing in general. Yeah, that's awesome. It's all about solving the riddle. Yep. All about it. So you mentioned earlier in the interview about what a great teacher failure is, and that's a really hard concept for people to embrace because we're always pushed to like never make a mistake. So how did you find that and how are you comfortable taking that approach? <laughs> I always say I'm a shit show anyway, so <laughs> I'm always driving that struggle bus. I mean, anybody that knows me too, they know that I, you know, I always say smart I ain't, you know, but you know, dude, I've, I do have done nothing but fail in my life. And I, I can't imagine that a whole lot of people are that much different. I mean, I mean, that's, we're all human, right? So, you know, failure is a, is a big part of life and, and overcoming those, those failures and, and I guess growing in them and learning from them. I mean, that's where, it, I guess that's where evolution comes in too, is like the ones that learn, keep living, the ones that don't end up dying early. Right. So whether you're a person or an animal, so taking all that stuff, I mean, I just, I just embrace it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I guess, I guess you could kind of look at it in this way. I mean, you know, if everybody's perfect, it would be a boring world. You know, um, I'm always, you know, I have no problem making fun of myself because, you know, I've definitely 
you can ask my wife. She, she, <laughs> she always lets me know, you know, where I'm, I'm, my mistakes are, but you know, I mean, that's part of it. I mean, my, if you look at my man room or my tying desk, it's definitely not neat. And when I, when Lefty invited me and my wife up to his house, I mean, his place is immaculate, but he also knew who I was and he's been around enough artistic people that he, he just had me down to a T. He's like, I bet your deal looks like this, 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 and this. My wife was dying. And he goes, well, I'm going to give you these life lessons and and I'm going to try to help you. But that's it. And Lefty is, he bent over backwards to help me, but I think I'm, I don't think I can be helped as far as organization goes. You know, it's just, it's just part of being, I think that artistic side of my brain, you know, it's just the way it is. And failure is a big part of that. And I think it's a lot of it is from not being organized, you know, and I, I maybe one day I'll finally get there, but I don't think, I, I don't think I'm going to change that much. It's just not going to happen. It's always, I mean, self-awareness is a great thing, yeah. right? Oh yeah. I know. I definitely have my limitations and I, that's, I do have a tendency sometimes to learn from people, you know, obviously they, uh, you know, um, Somebody told me that well, I can't remember who it was a long, long, long time ago is work smarter, not harder. And that, and I've definitely liked that idea. Obviously that's why I'm, I do, I chose fishing for a living because I did some side jobs and realized that this sucks. I want to, this is work. I don't want to work my life. You know, I, I want to enjoy my life and it may not be monetary, you know, but I have a treasure full of, you know, uh, life experiences, you know, money's, I mean, money makes life easier, but it's not everything. Obviously I have so many clients that do well in life and envy the fact that I'm out here on the water every day, but it's a double-edged sword. I mean, financially, they don't necessarily have to worry about, Hey, my light's going to be staying on this month or, you know, my phone going to be cut off. You know, that, that happens sometimes as a fishing guide. I mean, you, you know, you have these bad fishing, I mean, especially in the environment nowadays, man, you get some, get a month or so of bad weather and can't fish. I mean, you're looking, it's like, talking to your bankers like well give me another week you know that happens that's just a part of it yeah but it's important i mean you know if you you know i see this over and over again not just in fly fishing but in all sorts of things in life that people that are truly successful follow their passion and everything kind of falls into place for them right and you um and it's interesting too because we've talked you know when we fished and been around each other at shows about the fact that we're you know we're in our 40s and you know you've been around the industry for a while and you talked a little bit about lefty but you know, can you tell us a little bit about some of the special mentors? Uh, you know, I know Lefty's one of them, certainly, but some of those people that have, you know, as you look back over, you know, 46 years of being around that have really super impacted you in the fly fishing world? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Lefty's probably at the forefront of all that. I mean, he, uh, call him the godfather, and that's truly what he is and was. I mean, he he's helped so many people. I mean, the the fishing not just fly fishing industry but the fishing industry in general owes uh, a, a whole lot to lefty i mean he's he's been a, a lot of people don't realize how much he was involved in a lot of things that's come to be in in the fishing industry in general but uh, especially in the fly i mean he's helped obviously help promote the saltwater side of the sport um but you know people like larry Dahlberg, who i, I was introduced to through a friend of ours jake jordan who I uh, was introduced to Jake Jordan from Brian and Sarah, Brian Horsley and Sarah Gardner, who were people I met in the industry as an early age. That the first person I ever saltwater fly fished with was Brian Horsley on the Outer Banks. You know, that was back in, I think, around 90, 94, some 95, something like that, you know. And, you know, those people kind of 
took me out, showed me what was going on with that whole experience and getting to see how false albacore feed, you know, and that, that whole gummy minnow deal. But Bob Popovics has been a nothing but an, a good friend, you know, and that's the other thing about it. They, they, not only are they mentors, but they end up being close friends. And Popovics has definitely been that. I mean, you know, back around 1990 is when the gummy came to be or 89 something like right right around no no i'm sorry 90 98 to 2000 is when the gummy came to be sorry and you know i had tied all these flies i probably had a hundred of them and i took them down to harker's island cape lookout for the false albacore um fishing back back then it used to be really good mid-october and since then it's changed you know due to weather patterns and whatnot but Tom Earnhardt would always put on a, a party, a pig picking party, and everybody in the industry that was anybody would go. It was amazing. You'd see Jerry Seam there from Sage. You'd see all the all the different uh, editors for all the big magazines that would be there. Not just Fly, but in the, but, but the standard magazines like Field and Stream. Um, all these all these editors would be there, and it would be five or six hundred people at this party at times. It seemed that way, maybe not that many, but it was a lot. And, you know, I, I had tied these flies over the past few months and I was guiding for smallmouth and hadn't even fished them yet. But I wanted, cause I was kind of like, not sure how people would accept it being that it was plastics and, you know, stuff, but I was piecing it and tying it in, doing all these different things. So to me, it was more of a fly than an actual popper was, you know? So, but I knew going down there that if anybody would understand it, it would be Bob. And so the first person I was looking for when I got down there was Popovics and he didn't know me for Adam then, you know, I'd met him at a show, but I was like, he's not going to remember me, but I went straight to him and I said, Bob, I'd like to talk to you about something if you don't mind. And being Bob, he had no, no problem taking the time to talk to me. And I was like, I have this fly that I would really like for you to let me know what you think. And he said, sure. So I pull them out. I had a big bag of them and he's like, man, these are really, really cool. He goes, how are you doing? And so I explained to him what I was doing and all. I was like, well, do you think it's a fly? He goes, yes, I do. You know, and I knew he would know because he kind of went through the whole epoxy, epoxy thing. And I, I know he got some grief for that. And, and also, he goes, I tell you what. He goes, I want you to stand here and wait for me for a second. So I'm, I'm sitting outside waiting. 10, 15 minutes goes by and he finally comes back. He goes, hey, I want you to meet somebody. So Bob takes me through this crowd of people and it's like, it's like, it's, I remember like it's yesterday. It's like the, 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 the water parks and, you know, we're going through this, this thing and at the, in the center of all these people is lefty and he's smiling and joking and everybody's around him and, and Bob introduced me to him and, and I'd met lefty too before, but he didn't, didn't remember. But, um, he goes, are these your flies? And I'm like, yep. And he goes, man, these are incredible. He goes, these are going to be really good. How do they work? And I'm like, I, I haven't fished them yet. He goes, oh, you know, typical lefty. You know, he always had a joke saying something about it. I think it was some that whole wine in the jail cell joke that he's probably everybody's always heard. So he, I remember him saying that, and he goes, "He goes, do well, you mind if I have some?" I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" You know. So it's like I, I'd I'd made a bunch to give to Lefty, and or not to, not actually expecting it, but I gave a I tied a bunch to give to Brian and Sarah because you know I knew them and I wanted them to use them. And but but Lefty being Lefty. You know, he said, you know, I would love to take these. And I gave him probably a dozen or two dozen and he took them. And then he goes, 
Um, he goes, I really, I really am impressed with these. And I really, um, you go, you know who Amco Feather Merchants is? And I was like, yes. I said, I can actually have a pattern with him now. And he goes, well, that's great. Didn't say anything else. And we talked a little bit here and there. And then I didn't want to bother him. But the next morning, Brian and Sarah, as we're running out, I was running out with somebody. I think it was uh, Bill Dawson and somebody else. But we were running out. We were a little late. But on the radio down there, everybody's talking back and forth on the stations. And I just remember Brian being on the radio, somebody asking him, what are you guys doing? And they were just crushing fish. And he goes, oh, we're using those rubber flies of Blaine's. <laughs> At the time, people were calling them condom fly and everything else. And I was like, yeah, that's great. I mean, so Brian and Sarah were the first people to actually catch fish on that. But the, the, getting back to the story, um, two days later, that was on a Saturday. Two days later, I, I get a phone call when I got off the water from my wife. And she said, I just got a phone call from the czar at Uncle Feather Merchant, who was Bruce Olson. And uh, he, he, he wants you to call him. So I called him and he said, hey, Blaine, it's Bruce. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? He goes, well, I'm doing great and I'm doing really good because I'm sitting here looking at um, this fly of yours um, that Lefty sent me. And he goes, you know, I, well, you know, usually the process with getting the flies, you have to submit it. You have to, you know, have to go through a judging process. And he goes, we want this fly tomorrow. And he said, you know, Lefty called us and said, we got to have it. And he had actually hadn't had put it in his hands yet. And he said, this is a done deal. Just send me the samples. We're going to get it started. So someone like Lefty is, I mean, getting my career started and Popovic's supporting me through it, you know, and then having people like Clouser and, and then later, you know, you know, I'm just now getting to know Flip Pallet better. You know, I'm, I'm leaving two days to go hang out with him and actually telling a story about Lefty, They're, uh, the fly fishing museums doing a, a film on Lefty and I think Flip's going to be narrating and kind of telling the life story of Flip. I mean, Lefty. So that, that's going to be pretty, pretty awesome to be a part of that. But, you know, and then later here recently being able to hang out with Dahlberg, I mean, not taking anything away from all these other legends, but Larry is different level. He is the fishiest person I've ever met. I mean, who goes to the extent of sticking a thermometer up a fish's you know, you who right to to see what their internal temperature is related to the water around them to see what the optimal uh temperature is for that predator to feed right i mean this was based on musky so that 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 right there is that's that's stuff that's just off the charts and i mean he he has opened my eyes to realize that i don't know anything and i want to become that you know so you know he doesn't fly fish as much as he used to and it's it's basically because you know, he knew that there wasn't, not that he didn't love it, because he started fly fishing and loved it, and it still does, but um, he knew that the, the conventional side is where the money was, and, and he needed to support a family, and that's where he went. But he, if anybody ever watched the shows, he always had a segment where he had a little bit of fly involved in it. But uh, those people, I mean, especially, like I said, getting back to that, watching that stuff when I was, we didn't have cable, because I lived in the mountains, like I said, and, and so uh, my grandmother... On my mom's side, like I said, my grandfather passed away before I was born, but she had cable because she lived in town. And on Friday nights, you know, if I didn't have anything going on or after a date or whatever, I would go stay the night with her on Friday nights so I could get up and watch ESPN Saturday mornings and watch Larry and Flip and watching those guys and seeing all the different places they were fishing and seeing all the fish they were targeting, not, not just with conventional, but on fly. It was like, man, this is where I want to be. I just got to figure out how to get there. That's really awesome. And to kind of flip the question on you a little bit, you know, I mean, we've talked a l- talked around this a bit, 
Um, you know, so you're about halfway through your fishing career. How do you want to be remembered and what do you want to be remembered for building on a legacy of all these great people that have taken an interest in you as you've developed? Yeah. Well, you know, um, I made a statement when I was fishing with Larry one time, uh, I really appreciate you guys letting me ride on your coattails. And he immediately said, dude, you're not riding on our coattails. You're standing on the shoulders of people who came before you. And that, and that stuck with me to this day. And, and, and you really, he's right because everybody has learned from somebody. If you, I mean, look at lefty. I mean, uh, they just came out with that film that was lefty's mentor. Right. I mean, that whole thing, uh, you know, so there's all these, uh, you know, people that's helped others. And and that's kind of what I want to be known for is I want to be the person just like lefty's been, you know, the way he's helped people and it's not selfish. And he's, you know, he gives his time and he wants people to succeed and he wants the sport to grow. I want to leave the sport better than it was when I started. That's, that's kind of where my goal is. Well, that's fantastic. And I can't let you go today without talking to you about your book. <laughs> yeah, I know it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about about what it's about? Sure. I mean, that's another funny thing with Lefty. He actually got the book going for me. Um, when I was up there visiting him uh, with my wife, he had set up a meeting without me knowing with with Jay Nichols, who's my editor, and had a book. He had a book contract for me before I even knew I had a book in my body, and I left that lunch having a book contract. Unfortunately for for Jay, he didn't realize what kind of mess he was getting into. So for me, anybody, I'm just you know, I, I'm an I guess artistic and not organized, and you know, I don't enjoy doing things that aren't fun. I mean, that's why at school was not my favorite thing. I didn't want to do homework, and I definitely didn't want to study. But I was always studying aquatic entomology books or studying biology bi- biology books for fish stuff. You know, so that anything that I was into, I was all in problem is with the books it's like i guess going to the dentist nobody really wants to sit down and do it so a couple years went by and, and jay's like where are you on the book i was like no i'm not i haven't gone anywhere it's like so jay's finally he's like you know you got this contract with stackpole it's like we got to get something going so you know jay's so good at what he does best editor in the business by far um not taking anything away from anybody else i don't uh he's really not He's just so good. I mean, he's written so many books with the best in the industry. I mean, um, I but I know him. I mean, I, I take that. I just don't want to say anything negative about anybody. But Jay has become one of my closest friends, basically, because he's been spending the past seven years with me on this book. And and it's it's been a learning process for, for me. And Jay's has this way of making you learn about yourself while you go through the process. And he also would make, he would make me come visit him or he would book a, a cabin somewhere where we actually locked ourselves in the cabin for a couple of days. So I would sit down and actually write the book. And he realized if he didn't capture me that I was never going to get it done. And so he, I know I was, I've been very frustrating to him, but we've become close friends because of it since. And, you know, I wouldn't change that for the world. I, hopefully he wouldn't either. But, uh, you know, it, I, I did. It made me understand what I was actually accomplishing. You know, before I was doing this book, I really was just kind of all over the place with designing. But he helped me understand where I was going and where I want to get to, which that in itself is a lot for someone like myself, you know, where I'm just kind of like I'm all about right now and not always necessarily looking ahead. So I just I want to, 
you know, I want this book to be, I mean, obviously seven years into it, I, I want it to be a success and, and Jay was going to make sure of that or we weren't going to release it. And of course, Lefty, every time he would see me, he's like, how's the book going? He goes, you know, I could have written five books by now. He goes, I was like, yeah, but this is going to be a good one. He goes, yeah, but you know what? You know, you, he taught me a lot too. Not just, not just business stuff, but life stuff. He's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta be able to do this and and make a living for your family. So you, you need to diversify, right? So you got to be a, not only a photographer and a fly designer, you need to do this when this is not like right now. I mean, with the past couple of years with the rivers, I mean, everything's blown out all the time. So having these other avenues of, of what we call mailbox money is an important part of our lives. And it's becoming more and more important as I get older. Cause I can't, I don't have any other options, man. I, they're going to bury me with the oars in my arms. You know what I mean? So which is, which is I'm fine with, but you know, the whole book, you know, it, it is a general, it is definitely a, uh, a life journey for me. I mean, and the game changer didn't come over a, a, you know, a week of tie-in. I mean, it was, it's been a process, you know, I designed that thing over probably 12 years ago now, but you know, it's still evolving. Um, and that's what the fly, that's what the book's going to be called. It's going to be called game changer. Um, and we have a second one, it's in the it's in the works because all the work that I have is more than one book and we can't put but so much in one. So we're basically going to break it up into bait fish patterns for the first one and the second one's going to be a lot of the critters and other that. But we do have a little bit of the critter stuff in the in this book just to kind of I guess kind of be a predator, you know, kind of let people know what what's to come. But I mean it's it's all evolving. I mean I'm excited about it. You know, like I said, it, there's been such a, a learning curve for me while we've been writing this. And my thoughts five years ago are not even close to what my thoughts are now. I mean, I've, wor- I've learned so much about water flows and, you know, like I said, not an engineer, but, you know, uh, the way things, materials itself react, you know, with going through the whole progressions. I mean, I, I have so many different variations of game changers, you know, and, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, ambient light, water conditions, um, all these different things. And, and a lot of that has to, I've, I've been learning about laminar flow versus, versus, um, um, turbulent flow, you know, and all these different things, uh, have taught me how different fibers will react. And that's why I have so many different brushes that I use. And we talk about all that kind of stuff in the book. And, and it also is going to be a lot like what we've just been talking about my life progression and process and thought process of fly design and fishing techniques. That's super cool. And it's coming out this fall. It is, uh, right now, October 1st is the release date, um, which probably will be released officially around IFTD. And I'm currently talking to a bunch of shops and clubs and going to be doing a big, uh, I guess, big tour across the country all this, the end of this year and next year. So I'm looking forward to, getting out and meeting people and teaching them, you know, personally what, you know, my flying, fly tying techniques and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, doesn't look like I'm going to be fishing as much, but yeah. be talking about it anyway. Well, we'll hope it rains a lot then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I know, you know, you were saying that, that writing was not the most fun thing you ever wanted to do, but what surprised you the most about the writing process and working with Jay? I, I, I would go back to that learning more about myself and my thought process. I mean, Jay, you know, obviously, you know, he would kind of give you the template on how you should write it. 
you know i mean we all went to you know through high school and school and taking english and all that but sitting down and writing a book i mean he he just gave me the template and said you know you do this this and this and it's gonna help you i guess narrow your thought process and get you there quicker um so it taught me he's taught me how to write you know which it's pretty amazing really i mean you know which helps too because it allows you like lefty said it allows you to be a writer for magazines too so you can help keep yourself in income when when you don't have income in other areas which is huge especially when you do i mean not everybody does this this particular sport as a full-time job you know there's very few really you know you have your full-time guides but as a like i guess someone that you know guides and writes and tries to do some photography stuff there's it's it's not easy and anybody that's in this industry would tell you i mean you got to diversify and you got to try to figure out ways to keep the incomes coming in for sure man and you know the book is part of that process and you know i just hope people enjoy it you know that's the biggest thing i mean you you have people that are definitely behind you and and are anxious to see it but you just you hope you don't let them down in that whole process too so that's a little scary as well you know so hopefully everybody likes it. Well, that's awesome. And so, you know, talking about having multiple um, ways to generate income, have you got any other projects you're working on right now you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate to, to be able to work with a lot of the top companies in our industry and, you know, like TFO, uh, you know, been able to do rod designs with them and, and specifically for big flies, you know, with the whole ESOC series. Um, with the book release, a lot of the companies are coming on board to kind of help support that. You know, we're coming out with a limited edition uh, Game Changer rod with TFO that I'm super excited about. And, you know, some of the companies like Costa, they, I mean, they've, they've supported me with like the Game Changer hat. And they're coming out with some T-shirts that kind of match that in the fall. And all that stuff's going to be released around the book. And, you know, it's just for me, it, it's, you know... I, it's a really special thing to be able to be in the industry and, and not only work with great companies. I mean, working now with Patagonia, who I've been a big fan of since I was a teenager, you know, I've still got a pair of long underwear I had when I was in junior high school, you know, and, and being able to work with them and, 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 and help, you know, one, the conservation side of, of the sport, which gets overlooked, but I think it's becoming more and more prominent with the whole pebble mine deal and, and all that stuff. I mean, I mean, this, this world's getting smaller and we gotta, we gotta get on our, we gotta get on it and fix the problems. You know, I mean, you know, not trying to get into that whole thing, but you know, my guiding's gotten harder over the past five years because it's, everything's messed up all the time. And that can't be just coincidence. You know, I mean, somebody told me a long time ago, we're the watchdogs of the water. Uh, Anglers are, I don't care if you're a guide or a fisherman, you see the problems before most people see them. And I, I know, I mean, it's pretty obvious that every, there, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now that, that aren't good for our environment, that's for sure. But there, we also are, have the awareness that we're able to, to fight some of this stuff and correct it. You know, and that whole thing with Costa and the kick plastic and Yeti being behind that and, and the whole industry getting behind it, too, has been a big deal. You know, and, and that to me, you know, for me, it's not just, you know, getting sponsorships with companies. It's about being a part of something and that and that and I told that with Rick Pope, who was the first person to really take a chance on me and actually sponsor me, you know, and um, and all that has to do with Lefty and all my other uh, people, people like 
The, uh, but, uh, but the, everybody like Clouser and Flip and all those. <laughs> the joys of live recording, folks. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, I mean, you know, those, you know, just being able to, to I want to, when the companies I, I do get to work with, I mean, it, it's not just to be a part of the company. I want to be a part of it. You know, I want to be able to give my two cents and I want to, I want to be a part of a family. You know, I want to, and that, and that, and that has been, you know, and that, and that to me is the most important part of anybody I work with in the industry is getting to know them, becoming friends and end up becoming family. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, at the end of the day, it is business, but to me, you know, like I said, I'm not a business person. It's more about, it's creating relationships and, and long lasting relationships. I'm, I'm not someone for quick, you know, I want it to be for forever, really. I, it's funny because it makes things harder, but I agree with you. There's no other, really other way to live and do things, yeah. right? Um, so I know you're in the thick of guide season, but I also know you, you're all, always out giving presentations and talks. Do you have any upcoming appearances you want to share with our listeners? Maybe they can check you out. Yeah. So, um, you know, with the, with the book release, um, it looks like I'm just putting it all together now. Um, it looks like the first one I'm going to be at, it was at uh, Schultz Outfitters in, in October. I think we're going to try to do it right before IFTD. And then IFTD, we're going to have the big book release there um, in Denver. And then I'm going to be heading to uh, uh, Louisiana the end of October for the giant redfish deal and have a little bit of fishing. And then it's all work. Then I'm heading up to, uh, um, looks like I'm going to be doing a, a, a trip to Mad River Outfitters in, in, in Ohio up in Columbus, and then heading to Florida to do a Florida tour with Renzetti and, and some of the shops down there. And, and then talking with uh, Gordy's in, in Houston, probably do a Texas tour after that. And then I'd like to do the California tour. I got to talk with that, the clubs out there. And then, you know, I'm sure I'll be back home guiding here and there in between. But, you know, uh, looking forward to, first off, uh, Schultze and I are really good friends of Schultz Outfitters. And he's probably been the biggest backer of the game changer and, and you know and he's really helped me get the platform out there for, for people to really understand it and uh he's just been a huge huge proponent of it but he's also just been a buddy and you know we talked about when this book finally does drop that he wanted to be the first involved because you know obviously he's been care he always says carrying me right so anyway but that that's where we plan on being and i'm looking forward to all that stuff so well, that's fantastic. Well, Blaine, um, why don't you let people know where they can find you so they can book you and fish with you or book you to come talk to their club or speak at their shop? Yeah, I get, you know, I, I do have a website, but I, that's not the place to get in touch with me. Uh, the best place to get in touch with me is probably off of social media, you know, uh, Blaine Chocolate Fishing on Instagram or Blaine Chocolate Fishing on Facebook. Or you can call me or email me at uh, bchocolate at comcast.net or my phone number, 540-354-1774. Well, that's awesome, Blaine, and I really appreciate you carving some time out for this chat this afternoon. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely, man. Enjoyed it. Always fun fishing with you, too. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that, too. i got to get out and fish with small, for smallies with you. Well, folks, I hope you really enjoyed this interview with Blaine. It's his first ever podcast interview. I'm super honored that he uh, he decided to do that with me. If you liked the episode, it would be great if you could give us a review in iTunes, and please subscribe on the podcast of your choice. Tight lines, everybody. Tight lines, Blaine. Thanks. You too. Thank you.